We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast presented by DraftKings.com. It is Thursday, October 4th. We have a guest on the podcast today, Chris Fedor from Cleveland.com. It ended up devolving into a LeBron slash Cleveland Browns podcast by the end. Uh, but before that, we talked expectations for the Cavs, how Kevin Love's role is going to change this year, Colin Sexton, Jetty Osman, even some J.J. Hickson talk. We covered a lot. Uh, but it was a fun conversation. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, so let's get to Chris. Anthony for three. Watch it in. To be honest, I would put myself in the same category as D-Wade. Now our test is checked over the scores table. Our test is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. All right, Chris Fedor is on the line, lead Cavs writer at Cleveland.com. Chris, you're a veteran guest of the podcast. Always love talking Cavaliers with you. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come back on again this year. You got it. Anytime. You know I love it. <laughs> so you are coming to me live from your vehicle right now. You were just at Cavaliers practice. They're prepping, uh, of course, for Saturday's preseason game against Boston. Uh, but before we get into to the hard-hitting Cavs stuff, you announced last week you're in a new role now uh, with your Cavs coverage. You've been covering the team, I believe, since 2014 for Cleveland.com. Uh, but what's changed for you now uh, heading into the season as you step into a larger role? Oh, goodness. What hasn't is the real question. <laughs> um, so you know that uh, 
that gif that floats around on the internet, sometimes on Twitter, of, of Will Smith from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when, uh, when he walks into the mansion and everything's moved out and he's like, where is everything? Yes. Um, I kind of yeah. feel like that when it comes to covering <laughs> the Cavs. You know, we were at shoot-around in Boston for the first preseason game and I was looking around and there was nobody else there to talk to Ty Lue but me. Um, so the the lack of coverage, I guess, the lack of people that are covering the team on a day-to-day basis has certainly changed, and I think that's going to be a huge adjustment. I think the, the level of interest in the team um, is going to be a huge adjustment, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm now the lead role at Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer covering the Cavs. My old partner, Joe Varden, who was the number one for two years at Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer, who did a great job for two years. He left to go to the Athletic and covered the Cavs for them. So I, uh, I moved up a spot, and now my role changes a little bit from the day-to-day and the things that are expected of me. Um, but I'm still going to approach the beat in a different kind of way because I think what matters with this team is more about how they do things, why they do things, and the, the, the stuff with LeBron, everything he said mattered. Everything he did mattered. And every time he spoke, it was a story just of what he said. Um, and I just don't think the Cavs are going to be like that this year. I don't think they're going to be like that next year. So I'm probably going to take more of an analytical approach to covering the team. And I'm really, really excited to tell the story of this team um, because I think there are a lot of interesting storylines to cover. So what, what were you doing back in uh, 2010 when LeBron left for Miami? What was I doing in 2010? I was... Okay, I was working at a local radio station, the ESPN radio affiliate in town. Okay. Um, I had been working there for about four years. So at that time, I was producing a show full time, and I was also a co-host on a show that we did at night mm-hmm. um, that was called ESPN Cleveland Game Night, I believe that's what it was called. Um, so it was, it was more radio side of things. Sure. Um, than it was doing anything from writing standpoint. Does it feel similar at all? I mean, obviously the radio is different than what you're doing now for Cleveland.com, but LeBron leaving then versus LeBron leaving now, is, is it kind of the same effect as far as the coverage just drastically backing off of the team? So I think from that standpoint, Nick, yeah, it's the same because there isn't going to be as much coverage. There isn't going to be as much interest. Um, but I would also say that it is very, very different because of the way that the Cavs are approaching this. Right. Look, when LeBron left the first time in, in 2010, Nick, there was no plan, none whatsoever. They were caught off guard. J.J. Hickson, what are you talking about? J.J. <laughs> Hickson was here. Mo Williams was here. I'm trying to think who else. Antoine Jameson or the corpse yeah, of Antoine Jameson. I'm trying to look at that at that roster, but it, it says I have to confirm my age. I think I have to be 30 years old to look at this. Jamario Moon was on that team. Leon Poe, Samato yeah, Samuels, yeah. Ugh, Baron there Davis. That's, yeah. So 26-game losing streaks, you know, lottery trips. Those were the things that, that the organization was celebrating, and those were the things that, I guess, the organization was, was striving for. Um, 
this is very, very different. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people inside the organization, Nick, about a big story that I'm doing about why the Cavs are so adamant about fighting for this playoff spot. And the gist of it, without giving away the story too much, is they learned from the Kyrie Irving thing, and they're doing this for Colin Sexton, and they're doing it for Jetty Osman, and they want an environment that fosters uh, competition, winning, and all of the right things that an organization eventually would need to have in place in order to take that next step as an organization. So even if the Cavs don't get a playoff spot, and even if this whole quote-unquote plan doesn't go the way that they want it to go with the winning to follow, the fact that this is what Colin Sexton is able to walk into as opposed to what Kyrie Irving walked into, they think that is going to be really, really beneficial for a guy like Colin Sexton and some of the younger players that they have. So from that standpoint, it really is different. And the talent level on this team is so much better than what they had in 2010 when LeBron went to Miami. Now, is it comparable to the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Bucks, and some of these other teams in the Eastern Conference? Of course not. Uh, but it's certainly not what it was in 2010 when it was just a nightmare. But you mean to tell me that Kevin Love is better than Jawad Williams? <laughs> hey, man, I love Jawad Williams. I, I played against Jawad Williams yeah. in high school, actually. Really? He went, he went to the same high school that I went to. Yes, I borrowed his shorts one year, actually. <laughs> um, we went to the same high school together. We played open gym against each other and with each other. I believe I was a sophomore and he was a senior and I went to go take a layup and I think he swatted it all the way to the other side of the floor. So I love me some Jawad Williams, but I'll take Kevin Love on the basketball floor any day of the week. Hey, he started on a national championship team. He started over the number two pick that year, I believe, right? I believe that's yeah. right, yeah. Okay, so... I mean, from the outside, you know, I'm here in Wisconsin, you know, and, and I think obviously this LeBron story was about as national as it gets. From the outside, Cleveland seemed okay with LeBron leaving. You know, reluctantly okay is probably the best way to put it. They gave him that standing ovation in Game 4 when he left the court uh, in the finals for the last time. You, you kind of felt that it was coming at that point. Um, but as someone who, you know, covers this team day-to-day, who lives in Cleveland, who interacts with Cavs fans, is that really the case? Like, are Cavs fans, is there really no, you know, vitriol directed LeBron's way this time around? So I think it depends who you ask. Sure. And that's kind of the way it is when it comes to sports, right? So you can walk downtown Cleveland and maybe interview 10 different people about their feelings toward LeBron and their feelings about LeBron leaving a second time. And I feel like you'd probably get 10 different answers or maybe a couple of different answers that have different reasons attached to those answers. And, and I just think that's the way it goes when you're talking about somebody like LeBron who means so much to the city who meant so much to this organization, um, obviously people are going to be disappointed, and rightfully so. Um, you know, the minute that LeBron James left, uh, the Cavaliers championship hopes left with him. And I think that's a hard thing for any fan to deal with. At the same time, Nick, I feel like, one, the organization was more prepared for this to happen, and two, I also feel like LeBron kind of dropped hints all throughout the course of the season. And he kind of, you know, if you were somebody 
when LeBron went to Los Angeles and you were somebody saying, oh my gosh, why did he leave Cleveland? What was it about the situation in Cleveland that he didn't like? All you had to do was follow the story of the Cavs last year. And I feel like he created a story, a backstory, a cover story for him to be able to leave on better terms than he did in 2010. I think more fans, Nick, looked at the situation and said, you know what, I get it. I know why he left Cleveland. It's not the team that he signed up for. Um, You know, Kyrie Irving is gone, and and LeBron deserves some of the blame for that as well. But, But I just think more fans will look at the situation and say, I understand why he left. I don't actually blame him for leaving this time because there were so many things that changed from the time that he decided to come back to the Cavs um, in 2014 to when he left the Cavs this summer. There were so many different things and there were so many things that changed. Um, and I think it made it more understandable that, that he wanted to leave again. So what's different? And uh, I think the fact... Oh, go ahead championship here and he gave uh this city the, the the four greatest years in this franchise that they've ever had in fact i would argue nick that that in the sports with this town whether it's browns indians Cavs, uh take any team you want and take any four-year stretch of any team and the Cavs four-year stretch with lebron in the second go-around tops anything that the browns accomplished in a four-year stretch or the indians and i think the fact that he delivered those four years and delivered on the promise that he made to the city and the fans of this city. I think it made it easier uh, to watch him go to Los Angeles. Right. And this time around, there's no, there's no quest. You know, when LeBron went to Miami, it was to win rings. When LeBron came back to Cleveland, it was to win a ring for Cleveland. Like this time, it doesn't seem like he necessarily has a, you know, a certain interest, a certain personal interest in mind and I think that makes it a little bit easier you know on a franchise especially one that's been to four straight finals um but looking back on those last four years you know what's different about covering the Cavs this year and I know it's only been a few weeks into the preseason but obviously there's the LeBron factor all the coverage that comes with him but you know the guys that are on the team right now what's different you know attitude wise preparation wise confidence in guys like Kevin Love you know now that LeBron's no longer there so I think this is a hard thing when it comes to, to these kinds of conversations, Nick, because you just don't want to get yourself into this situation where you start going down this road of things are better without LeBron, because right. that's just not true. And I think if everybody recognizes that what I'm about to say does not mean that I'm saying that things are better without LeBron, then it would be a better conversation. Um, so understanding that, uh, I think this team is no longer burdened by the uh, crazy attention that is placed on them and the weight of the expectations that were on everybody every minute of the day. Um, You know, everything that you said, everything that you did was going to be analyzed and maybe even overanalyzed. A body language was going to be read into. And the only thing, whether the Cavs want to admit this or not, the only thing that was going to define success for this four-year stretch that LeBron had been here was going to be championships. You know, they went to the NBA Finals over and over and over again, right? But that, that 
that wouldn't have mattered if they didn't win that championship that one time. Because they won the championship in 2016, mm-hmm. it made the four-year stretch a success. But if they didn't get that championship, uh, I think people would have felt like that was a lost four years or that was an unsuccessful four-year stretch. No matter how many games they won in the regular season, no matter how many finals appearances they made. So I think this, like, the pressure of that and the expectations that come with a LeBron James-led team, it's not for everybody. And it can be very, very difficult on guys. In fact, I think Rodney Hood was swallowed by it in the second half when, I, when he was traded here. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's been lifted off of him. I think it's been lifted off of Kevin Love, where he's no longer the guy that's like, okay, if things go wrong for the Cavs, it's going to be the fault of Kevin Love. Um, and, and I think... Um, this idea for some guys, some of these younger guys, uh, that they had to, I don't know if it was reach LeBron's standard because they probably weren't going to be able to do that, but that was the expectation placed on them when they probably weren't at that stage of their career to have that expectation placed on them. I think that was hard for some of those guys. So nothing's better Without LeBron here, the Cavs' championship hopes went out the window. Um, but but I think the, the expectations being lifted off of them might give them a little bit more freedom than they've ever had before, and I think that can be a good thing. Do you get Do you get the sense like are the players more loose? You know, is there now that there isn't this specter of we have to get to the finals or it's a failure? LeBron's watching everything we do. He's the one who, you know, true or not, ultimately determines who's on the floor with him at the end of games. Like. You know, someone like a Kevin Love, you, know, you mentioned Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson was obviously god-awful in the playoffs. Like, Do those guys, are, are they noticeably yeah. more comfortable without LeBron around? Yeah, I think so. I think so, because I, I think I think that environment is for certain guys, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that environment was fine for Kyrie Irving because he was a good enough player to thrive in right. that kind of environment. But Jordan Clarkson's put in that kind of environment, and it's like, it's almost not fair to him to expect some of the things. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's right. just really, really difficult when the spotlight is shining on you and you're expected to be great or you're expected to be a great team and maybe you're not at that level as a player. You're flawed as a player. So I do think um, there's a bit more joy. I do think it's going to be more loose. Um, I do think they're going to try and play a different kind of style, and I think maybe that's going to help some of these guys as well. They don't have to be catch-and-shoot guys. You know, they don't have to be quote-unquote role players who um, can only thrive in in a certain kind of um, situation for them offensively and defensively. Um, A lot of the guys are going to touch the ball. A lot of guys are going to have a chance to be a playmaker. A lot of guys are going to get shots in places where – it's not just in the corner standing there and catch and shoot situations. Right. Um, and I comes some kind of optimism and some kind of hope that maybe these guys can be a little bit more than they were um, when they were playing alongside LeBron when LeBron was the system. Right. When well, LeBron being the system, you know, it kind of goes back to what you said at the beginning. Like you'd never suggest that a team is better without LeBron, but. When you play with LeBron, you everything orbits around him. You know, we've seen it time and time yep. again. Every every time, you know, whether it's a new season, whether he's with a new team, it's always I don't want to dominate the ball. You know, I want these guys to be comfortable. 
fast forward three months into the season, you know, it's LeBron dominating the ball. It's LeBron, you know, everything runs right. through him. And for, and for the most part, it works. You know, you don't get to seven straight finals if right. it doesn't work. But I think outside of these young Cavs, we're seeing it, you know, have ripple effects around the league. Like, I think LeBron has almost gotten too big for his own good just as a, as a basketball personality. Like, you know, everyone just assumed Kawhi Leonard wanted to go play with LeBron in L.A., LeBron goes to LA, all of right. a sudden Kawhi Leonard starts looking at the Clippers. You know, everybody would think Jimmy Butler would want to play with LeBron, yep. leaves the Lakers off of his list. You know, I think it's gotten to the point where yep. guys don't necessarily not want to play with LeBron, but it's just the circus that he brings. You know, if you win, LeBron gets the credit. If you lose, LeBron's not the one to blame. I think it it can be too much. And when it's when it's too much for someone like Kyrie Irving or Jimmy Butler or Kawhi Leonard, it's pretty easy to me to see how it could be too much for someone like Rodney Hood or Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, I think um, the way that I've always said it, um, I, I think it's, it's great if you're Matthew Dellavedova and it's great if you're uh, Mo Williams and Damon Jones and sure. Timofey Mozgov and guys like that. But, but if you're Kyrie Irving, right, you don't get to be the player that you feel like you can be playing right. alongside LeBron. Exactly. And, and that's very, very difficult for some guys to accept. So LeBron can be easy to play with, and he can make the game easy on everyone, and he can create shots for a lot of these guys. Um, if you're a role player, right, if you're a catch-and-shoot type guy, he's going to create those looks for you. But if you're somebody who wants the ball in your hands because you feel like that's where you can be at your best, you can't be that guy with LeBron. Because who's not going to put the ball in LeBron's hands? Right. right. Any coach that takes the ball out of LeBron's hands is going to be an idiot because he's the best creator that the NBA has. He's the best um, initiator that the NBA has. He's the best playmaker that the NBA has and probably has had for the last 15 years. And the minute that you take the ball out of his hands, like you're probably doing a disservice to your mm-hmm. offense and you're probably doing a disservice to your team. Um, so, so I think that's what makes it tough with LeBron. And and I think, you know, for Ty Lue, it's something that he had to figure out. He was getting bombarded with questions, Nick, over and over and over again about the Cavs and how much isolation they played. And he was getting frustrated that the questions kept coming. And he basically finally got to the point where he was like, look, I'm doing this because it makes the most sense, right? We play a ton of ISO because for three years we had two of the best ISO players on the same roster with LeBron and Kyrie. And then when Kyrie left, we tried doing something a little bit differently, and then we realized that we were best when we just went to LeBron over and over and over again and made it so that he had a high usage and he played ISO, and we had to find what was best for us when we didn't have Kyrie, and it turns out what was best for us was exactly what was best for us in the three years before that. Um, I think Ty Lue now has to put in a system, and I think it's going to involve a lot of movement. I think it's going to involve a lot of guys touching the ball. I think they're going to try and push the pace, and they're going to have to do a lot of different things, Nick, offensively and defensively, because they do not have the human eraser in LeBron where LeBron makes it so, like, even if it doesn't seem like it's the best thing for you, he finds a way to make it work. So that's going to be very, very interesting to follow, I think, this year with just how different the Cavs are going to try and play um, out of necessity because they don't have LeBron to fix everything. Let's take a quick break so I can tell the listeners about DraftKings.com. 
The NBA season is now less than two weeks away. And once again, we at Rotowire have partnered with DraftKings to bring you a Rotowire six month membership for free. Here's how it works go to rotowire.com slash DraftKings, sign up for a new account, and make a $10 deposit or more. That's right. With that deposit, you'll get six months of access to all tools and sports on rotowire.com. That includes DFS optimizers, weekly rankings, premium articles, full season draft software, and much, much more. All that for $10, which you can then enter into contests on DraftKings.com to win even more money. We're super excited to bring you this deal yet again this season. If you want access right away, go to rotowire.com slash DraftKings. That's rotowire.com slash DraftKings and follow the instructions. Eligibility restrictions apply. New DraftKings users only. See DraftKings.com for details. We have another sponsor this week. It's Hims. Most of our listeners are guys. We recognize that. And two-thirds of men lose their hair by age 35. If you fall into that category, it's not too late to turn it around before you start to get that LeBron, Chris Paul thinning, balding on top, that kind of 2008 Chris Kamen-y type of look. Nobody really wants that. But you can do something about it. That's where Hims comes in. There's no need to try home remedies when you can use the science-based results provided by 4hims.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Hims connects you to real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. No gimmicks, no products you can buy in the bathroom of a quick trip off the highway. These are prescription solutions backed by science. Order now. Our listeners get a trial month of Hims for just $5 right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost you hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4 slash RWBasketball. That's 4Hims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S, dot com slash RWBasketball. 4 slash RWBasketball. So realistically, what can this team actually be this year? You know, I, I totally understand wanting to to sell to the team, to the organization, to fans, you know, we're, sure. this isn't going to be 2010-11 all over again. You know, we're not going to, I mean, they lost something like, did they lose 20 in a row at that point or close to it? I think they started off okay and they went in a crazy run. 26 in a row 26. they lost in, in the post-LeBron era one time, yeah. Right, so it's completely understandable to want to avoid that situation um, but at the same time, you know, anyone can look at this roster and, you know, the Cav- the Cavs were the, what, the four seed, I believe, last year. But there were certainly times where they looked like they were a borderline playoff team at a bad conference. And all of a sudden you take away the one guy who was buoying this team last year. Are they a legitimate playoff contender? You know, do you really buy that they can make a run at the seven or the eight? So I buy it because it's the Eastern Conference and not the okay, Western Conference. Fair enough. Completely fair. I buy it. And I buy it because I think they have an offensive focal point that they can still go to. And I think you can make an argument and and you can have a debate about just how effective that focal point can be and whether he can still be the guy that he was in Minnesota. But to have that kind of guy is very, very important. He's going to be the hub of the Cavs offense. He's going to be basically what Al Horford became for the Boston Celtics when Kyrie Irving went down. Uh, the, the offense is going to run through Kevin in the post. It's going to run through him sometimes at the top of the key. It's going to run through him at the elbow. Um, so I don't know that he can be the Minnesota version of Kevin Love, but he is going to be the focal point of the Cavs offense. And having that kind of guy, I think, is going to help them. And I think the other thing, I keep going back to this, Nick. So you probably have 
six definites for playoff spots in the East, and I know things can change and injuries can happen. Mm. But you've got Boston, Philly, I always forget one, Indiana, Milwaukee, Toronto, uh, and then there's one, Washington is probably included there too. Um, And then you're talking about seven and eight, like Miami, Detroit, Charlotte, Orlando, Atlanta, the New York Knicks, the Chicago Bulls. Like, you know, it's hard to make a clear case that all of those teams or two of those teams are definitely going to be better than the Cavs, right? I mean, Miami gets by with a great system, hardworking, grunge up the game. But you look at that roster, are you honestly going to try and tell me that that roster in Miami is that much better than what the Cavs have? Seriously? I mean, I think it's deeper. I mean, I think Kevin Love. I mean, yeah, maybe it's deeper. I'd take Kevin Love and Rodney Hood as a one-two, and I know Rodney Hood was yeah. a disaster in the yeah. second half of the season. But I'd take him as a, I'd take that as a one-two over what Miami has with what Goran Dragic and who else? Hassan well, Whiteside, maybe. Someone possibly? might try to sell you on Josh Richardson. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean the thing. I was I'll just, listen to that. We were just talking about Miami in the office this morning, and. I mean, we, we were yeah. joking, like, they're a team that is built to win somewhere between 41 and 43 games. No more, no less. You know, they have one of the highest floors just because right. they are so deep, but their ceiling, you know, I, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine them climbing above seven or eight in the East. And they play hard every single night. Right. So you give them a lot of credit for that. They defend their butts off. So you give them a lot of credit for that. But, but all I'm saying is, like, there are clear-cut teams that are going to be better than the Cavs. And they're more talented than the Cavs. Yes. And you feel like they're going to be better both offensively and defensively. But, but when you start talking about the back end of the Eastern Conference, I think it's a legitimate debate. And I think it's a conversation. And I think the Cavs are right in that mix. Um, I, I keep going back to it wouldn't surprise me if they won 20 and it wouldn't surprise me if they won 40. Like, I think that's a legitimate range for this kind of team. Um, but I would take the higher end of that because I think they're going to be better than people think, and I think Ty Lue is going to show himself to be a better coach than he gets credit for. Okay, yeah, I'm with you on that. And the other thing that, that people don't talk about, you know, when you start projecting the seeds is, like, how many of these teams in the East really want to win? Like, the Cavs want to win. They've made that very clear. Thank you. I think I think right. a team like, I mean, Charlotte could end up selling off Kemba Walker. You know, the Knicks don't want to win. The Nets finally own their pick. Do they really want to, you know, win 35 games and get the ninth pick? Probably not. Chicago has been pretty clear about not necessarily wanting to win. Orlando never seems to want to win. And Atlanta, you know, is probably my favorite to be the number one pick next year. So, I mean, by the time we get to mid-March, there really might only be three teams that are fighting for that eight seed. And chances are the Cavs are one of them. I think so, too. And look, if they're not one of those teams, if if it starts off horribly bad for them at the beginning of the season, then they Mm. can probably reverse course and they can probably think about uh, is it better for us to start selling off some pieces or try to sell off some pieces to try and get more assets back and to try and preserve this top 10 pick that could be Atlanta's? Um, because that's something that the front office has to seriously contemplate is, mm-hmm. is how much they're willing to give up that pick to the Atlanta Hawks sure. if it's outside the top 10. 
So you mentioned Kevin Love. Obviously, things will run through him. Um, and it was an interesting point you brought up earlier about LeBron. Like He does make role players better. There's really not much evidence to suggest he makes superstars um, you know, significantly better. But do you really believe Minnesota Kevin Love is still in there somewhere? I mean, I... Kevin Love was was probably become underrated at this point just because of you know how much people piled on him those first couple of years in Cleveland. Still a very good player, you know, a guy who's been an All Star the last couple of years has been hurt and hasn't been able to play in the game. Uh, so I think people tend to forget that. But you know, I I think the Cavs made a point, especially late last season, early in the postseason. You know, first quarter, first couple possessions, they'd isolate Kevin Love on the block, they'd isolate him at the elbow. And it was just a struggle. Like he was, he was struggling to move. You know, he'd get a guard or a you know a guy like Bogdanovich, for right. instance, with the Pacers, and he couldn't move him. He, you know, the the stuff that we used to see Kevin Love do in Minnesota, catch at the elbow, make a move, a couple dribbles, he's right at the rim. It doesn't seem like he necessarily has that anymore. He's lost weight. He's a different type of player, and all that was to adjust to playing alongside LeBron. To his credit. Um, but I, I don't know that we can just expect Kevin Love to all of a sudden zap back to where he was five years ago now that LeBron's gone. I was talking with somebody in the front office that that was here for the entire run, Nick, the other day, and, and they said openly and honestly uh, there were areas on the court that they didn't even explore with Kevin, and there were things that they knew he did really, really well that they didn't take advantage of. Um and I think the Cavs are going to take advantage of everything that Kevin Love can bring to a team. And I think it's fair to wonder if he's still as talented as the guy that he was in Minnesota when he was, you know, in his mid-20s. He was, quote-unquote, in his prime, averaging 26 points per game and about 12 rebounds. I think it's fair to wonder that. Um, at the same time, Nick, the way that I would phrase it is, I don't know that Kevin Love has ever been in a better place than, than coming into this season. I think he's in a better place than he's ever been mentally because of some of the stuff that he's been open and honest about. Um, I think that has empowered him. I think that has given him more confidence. I think that has allowed him to take on more of a leadership role and be confident in that particular role. And I think it has lifted a weight off of him. So I think he's coming into the season uh, free of that because of all the stuff that he's been able to do off the court with mental health awareness. Um, and I think on the court, again, I think the Cavs are going to explore using Kevin in a way that they ignored for four years. Um, and I think that is going to make him more comfortable on the court. He has always said, Nick, that he's most comfortable when he starts inside and he can work his way outside. And um, I want to make sure that I get the stat right. But there, there were when, when Kevin, Kyrie, and LeBron were together, Kevin had more 15-point uh, or more first quarters than LeBron James and Kyrie Irving combined in their years together. That was just the first quarter. And then the Cavs forgot about him or they mm -hmm. couldn't keep him involved. They're going to keep him involved for all four quarters. And I think they're going to get him ball – uh, the ball in spots where he's most comfortable. So again, I don't know that it's going to lead to what he was in Minnesota, but how he's going to be used, how he's coming into this season, who he is and how he's carrying himself. I just, I never saw this guy when he was playing alongside LeBron James. Um, and, and I think, 
I think he can be some some version of the guy that was so dominant for Minnesota. And I looked this up the other day too, Nick. Um, Kevin Love was still in the 79th percentile of post-up possessions, points per possession on post-ups hmm. last year. Um, and, and that's with not using that nearly as much as the Cavs probably would have wanted to. So those skills are still there. His ability to space out to the three-point line still there. His ability to be a great passer from the top of the key or the elbow, that's all still there. Like all of the stuff that he did in Minnesota is still there. I just don't think the Cavs um, had the ability to explore it because of the way that they ran their offense. Well, I mean, that goes back again to, to what you were saying about superstars playing with LeBron. I mean, I, I think, you know, I keep I keep bringing up the Jimmy Butler example, but it's like Jimmy Butler wants his own team. He's willing to play with Kyrie Irving, but yep. he's not willing to play with LeBron. Like, everybody wants their own team, but they want to be at least the co-number one. Nobody wants to be, you know, with LeBron. You know, I assume Durant eventually will probably get that same type of treatment. If you're playing with those guys, doesn't matter who you are. You know, if you're a you know, gold medalist with Team USA like Kevin Love was, you just kind of become, yeah. in some ways, a glorified Ryan Anderson. I think the other thing is this too, Nick, and, and I mentioned this on another podcast. Um, I don't think LeBron did a good enough job. I don't think he did himself enough favors in terms of developing relationships with the next wave of star player. Mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving is very, very close to those guys because of Team USA and just because where he is in his life compared to where those guys are in his life. LeBron's group, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, they're towards the tail end of their career. Right. Those are the guys that LeBron grew the closest to. But Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, that next wave of guys, they look up to LeBron. I think they respect the hell out of LeBron. But I think his relationship with Kyrie and the way that it deteriorated and Kyrie's relationship with the next wave of star players, I think that's something that LeBron's going to fight. And I don't think he's going to win that battle very often. And I think that's part of the reason why he went to Los Angeles, if we're being honest. I think he feels like he needs L.A. I think he feels like he needs Magic Johnson as a recruiter. I think he feels like he needs the Lakers to maybe get the kind of star that he couldn't get on his own. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that he just did not do a good enough job of building relationships with some of those star players that are the next wave. I was in New Orleans for the All-Star game, and I was there to do a piece, Nick, on um, LeBron's relationship with those guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't do the piece because he seen, it, it, was, it was a game with the best players in the world. It was an environment where you would think that LeBron would fit in so well and he, it just it seemed like he was out of place because the only guy he had at the All-Star game with him at that time was Carmelo Anthony, whereas Kyrie had DeRozan, he had Draymond, he had Kawhi, he had Gordon Hayward, he had all these different guys. So I think the way that LeBron and Kyrie and all that stuff went down um, is something that is not going to be helpful for LeBron. So do you think that's more of an age thing or or a LeBron not making the effort thing? I mean, what is Kyrie, 25, 26? I mean, I think at some point, you know, it's just, it just becomes a generational gap. I mean, it's not a coincidence that LeBron's boys are all guys sure. who were drafted within a year or two of him. You know, I mean, like, I, I think, you know, at, at some point, the guys are going to hang out with who they're going to hang out with. Like, LeBron didn't do Team USA. Sure. 
um, what was that, 2016, I guess, you know, given the workload that he was coming off of. I think that was understandable. Um, you know, and yep. I think we've seen that with other guys too. You know, I, I certainly correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm a little younger than you, so I don't really remember peak Michael Jordan, but I think when you get to a certain level, it's hard to view those guys as peers. You know, I, I don't think Michael Jordan had a lot of yep. friends who were in their mid twenties in the NBA. I think Kobe Bryant, you know, yep. very similar in that regard. You have your close circle, a lot of guys who you played with when you were younger. Um, and I would imagine that it's, it's harder yep. to cultivate those relationships with the younger guys. Yeah. And I don't want to go Dr. Phil or anything like that, but I think <laughs> that's an don't. absolute brilliant point, Nick. Because, um, you know, in Miami, I think he did look at Bosch, and I think he looked at Wade as his peers. And right. I think it led to a different kind of um, – I, I think it, it led to a different kind of dynamic in Miami because of that. Yep. Um, in Cleveland, I think he always looked at Kyrie Irving as his younger brother, and I think he always looked at him as kind of his protege. Um, and I don't believe Kyrie, somebody who felt like he was the best point guard in the NBA, somebody who had the audacity to take the game-winning shot, Game 7, NBA Finals. Like, that's right. how Kyrie was wired. This was a dude who, when he was, I think, 19, 20 years old, challenged Kobe Bryant to a game of one-on-one because he thought he could beat Kobe. Yeah. Like, that's who Kyrie is at his core. That's how he's wired. And I think LeBron treating him like a kid um, – treating him like a little brother and not viewing him as a peer. Like LeBron always recognized the gifts of Kyrie and the talent of Kyrie. And he said that he could be an MVP one day. I just don't think he ever treated him that way. Well, he called Um, him, he exclusively called him the kid at at any point, which I think it right over and over and over again on purpose. And I think that that really bothered Kyrie. I think it led to an interesting dynamic. It, it, I mean, from afar, you were you were on on location seeing it more than I was. But from afar, it even it got to the point, you know, their third year together, where it was like LeBron was going way out of his way to call him the kid, you know. And 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 by that point, yep. there had been rumblings about Kyrie not being happy, and it just felt like LeBron yep. could not bring himself to to at least publicly show the respect. I mean, like you said, he would he would say the right things, but the way he said it. Um, you know, you could kind of understand by the end of that relationship why it why it ended up the way it was. Um, I was actually in New Orleans that same All Star game you were talking about as well, and I wouldn't say I, I was you know tracking LeBron's interactions with the other players all that closely, but I mean I did notice media day um, the day before the All Star game, so I guess it would have been like Saturday morning. Everybody was there except for LeBron. Um, you know, I would assume as someone who covers the team, he kind of gets to pick his own schedule like that. I mean, that's a mandatory event for all stars, but not for LeBron. Like, is there something to that where this, I mean, and granted LeBron has probably earned this. A lot of superstars have earned these kind of things, but did that rub people the wrong way? You know, LeBron kind of just getting to act like LeBron and having there really not be any consequences because of who he is. Um, I think probably these guys are human, right? And I think Kyrie is human. And if you go back to that sort of thing, I think Kyrie. I think Kyrie probably looked at it and said, "Wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on." Like you make all these reservations for him, right? And I think the other mm-hmm. thing that Kyrie looked at is that before LeBron came back in 2014, Kyrie did all of this recruiting. He had guys lined up that were going to join him that he felt like fit his game, and the Cavs sold him on being the Cavs version of Steve Nash, because David Griffin, the general manager at the time, was in Phoenix with Steve Nash. Mm -hmm. And that's how it was phrased to Kyrie. And he was thrilled. He was excited about the potential. 
He had Trevor Reza locked up. He had Gordon Hayward willing to sign an offer sheet because he recruited Gordon Hayward. And then all of a sudden LeBron comes back, and then all of that hard work that Kyrie did to try and put pieces around him to allow his game to flourish and allow the team to flourish, that then turned into the Cavs going out to get guys to fit LeBron's game best. And I think the power that LeBron had, the say that LeBron had, the fact that uh, the team always tried to build things around LeBron and put pieces around him that made the most sense for him and some of his buddies and things like that. Um, I, I do think that was hard for a guy like Kyrie who had that pulled right out from underneath him as soon as LeBron decided that he wanted to come back. Right. And I think from afar, you know, it, it seems kind of ridiculous to, to look at Kyrie and be like, why would you not want to play with LeBron? But when you're talking about someone who, like you said, in his heart of hearts, believes that he's the best player in the NBA, um, yeah. you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to like put, you know, put logic aside for a little bit and, and kind of try to think about what Kyrie's thinking about in that moment. And, and it becomes a little bit more understandable, but all right, we got way too much LeBron talking. I mean, I'm always happy to do this, but uh, we should probably we should probably t- we could do a whole separate like five hour, six, you know maybe a six part uh, podcast talking just about LeBron. But I should ask you a few more Cavs questions yeah. before I let you go. Um, real quickly, thank on, you. Yeah, re- let's do that. Yes, I've, I would imagine you've spoken a little bit about LeBron over the last few months. But <laughs> um, Jetty Osman is is this part like last year? I felt like he just became a folk hero. You know, he was kind of like the new Delhi in yeah. some ways. You know, he's this kind of goofy looking white guy nobody had ever heard of. Um, and it was fun yeah. when he would come into games. He'd hit a three every now and then. He loved LeBron. That was all well and good. All of a sudden, this guy might be the starting small forward now. Like, what, what, what should people actually know about Jetty Osman and, and what he can do you know, when he's getting 20 minutes a night as opposed to playing five minutes at the end of every three games? Well, he's going to have to be a lot better. Let's just start there, Nick, because you know he got an opportunity. All the games blend together. I think it was against Philadelphia late in the season. The Cavs went to Jetty, big-time game, right, against a playoff-caliber opponent, and Jetty looked lost completely. And I think at that moment, the Cavs were like, we probably can't lean on this guy in the postseason whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, It's probably too big of a stage for him. But he has spent the entire offseason working with the player development coach. The player development coach, Mike Garrity, went with Jetty, to Istanbul, Turkey, to work out together, to get to know each other. They've been working on Jetty's outside shot for the last couple of years. They've been working on the mechanics of it. They've been trying to get him to be more of a playmaker. Um, I think he, right now, is a try-hard guy who is going to give his all on defense. He's going to bring energy. He's going to play the right way. He's probably going to be at his best in transition where he doesn't have to work against a set defense. Um, So he certainly has some room to grow. There's no doubt about that. Um, But but I think the Cavs are excited about his potential and some of the strides that he's made this offseason, both at Summer League, uh, playing FIBO with Turkey, and the work that he's done behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he's going to get an opportunity to showcase some playmaking ability um, that, that allows him to be more comfortable because that's kind of the role that he's always played for the national team. So he certainly has a long way to go. He's probably the starting small forward more so by default, Nick. He's probably not ready for that necessarily. 
on a playoff team. Um, but he's one of the building blocks of this new core moving forward. So they're going to give him every opportunity to succeed or fail, and they probably should. I wanted to talk to you about Jordan Clarkson, but honestly, I don't know if I can physically. Uh, I'm still kind of smarting from from what he looked like in June. So we'll just we'll skip Jordan Clarkson for now for time purposes. Uh, Colin Sexton, does he take over as the starter at some point this year? Does he begin the season as a starter? I don't think he begins the season as starter. I don't. Okay, I don't um, either. I think. I think it's going to be George Hill as the starting point guard. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, among them, I, I think they want to take pressure off of Colin. He's 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I think they want to groom him and develop him the right way. Um, having him run the second unit, I think, is is um, something that takes more pressure off of him than putting him in the starting lineup on a team that's trying to compete for a playoff spot. I think he can learn from George Hill. Um and I think on the second unit, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have to do everything himself because I know you don't want to talk about him, but Jordan Clarkson is going to be looked at as somebody to kind of anchor that second unit and take on a big bulk of the scoring load for that second unit. So I think that can help Colin as well. Um, I think eventually he is going to take over that spot. Uh, I think he's going to eventually show that he's probably better for the Cavs both in the short term and long term than George Hill. I just don't think it's opening night against the Toronto Raptors. I still think opening night against the Raptors, George Hill gives the Cavs a better chance at starting point guard, and I think he gives them a better chance to win. That's not to say that George Hill is great. It's just, you know, Collins 19, and I think they have to handle him the right kind of way so that he grows and he develops properly and they don't put too much on him too soon. So, I mean, coming into the season, we always do a lot of projecting. Obviously, that's kind of what we do at RotoWire. And, you know, as I was going through and, and analyzing, you know, rookies are always the toughest. You know, you, you really can't just look at college stats and accept that, expect that to translate. But I really think he's going to end up looking a lot like De'Aaron Fox. I mean, obviously, they, they physically look alike in some ways with the hair. But I think his rookie year is going to look a lot like Fox's last year. You know, Fox was right, hovering around 40% shooting all year, a little over 30% from the line, had some big nights, you know, the assist or you know, the passing translated from college. He could get to the line every now and then, but you know, Darren Fox had nights last year where he would go, you know, two of 10 from the floor, a few turnovers. I think it's going to sure. look a lot like that for Sexton where he's going to be largely inefficient, but he's going to show enough signs. Like nobody looks back and says, Darren Fox had a terrible rookie year. You know, the numbers aren't great, but you still feel pretty good about him. And I think that's kind of the conversation we're going to have this time next year, looking back on what Sexton would have done, you know, in 2018, 19. I think that's a fair way to look at it um, because he does need to work on his outside shot. Uh, teams are going to have to show that they respect that enough to not go under screens and things along those lines. And, and you know, he, he has weaknesses in his game. He has flaws in his game. And when there's more film on him and there's scouting reports and you get to know him more and more and more, um, all of a sudden those, those defenses are designed to make that guy as uncomfortable as possible. And, try and exploit some of those weaknesses. And then it's going to be up to him to adjust to that and make the corrections. So, so I think that's exactly the way that it goes. There are peaks and valleys for rookies all the time, especially mm-hmm. when we're talking about 19-year-olds and playing against the best of the best. And I think that's another reason why maybe possibly, Nick, they're going to bring him off the bench. You know, if you bring him off the bench, he's probably going to be playing against bench guys for a majority of his minutes. Whereas if you put him in the starting lineup, He's going to be playing against John Wall, Kyrie Irving, um, 
Kyle Lowry, those kinds of players. And I know that's not in, like, you can't avoid that the entire time, mm-hmm. um, but you can try and get most of his minutes against those kinds of guys that he's probably more ready to play against. Mm-hmm. Okay, a couple more quick ones. November 21st, Lakers come to town. What is that going to be like environment-wise? All right, say that again because I want to make sure that I answer it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, November 21st, the Los Angeles Lakers, the basketball yep. team, uh, they come to Cleveland to play the Cleveland Cavaliers. What is that going to be like? LeBron's first game back in Cleveland for the second time, I guess we can phrase it that way. All right. And you said environment-wise. So the environment... Yeah, well, is he going to get booed? He's, he's not, he's not getting booed Miami. this time around. Nobody's going to be throwing batteries at him, right? Right. So he got batteries thrown at him. He, I believe on record, has said that was like one of the the worst situations that he's ever been in, one of the most dangerous situations on the basketball court that he's ever been in. Um, it's not going to be like that. Back in 2010, there were chants. There were premeditated chants, catcalls for LeBron that happened at the six-minute mark, then end of the first quarter, then six-minute mark in the second quarter, halftime, all those different things. I don't think it's going to be like that either. I think it's going to be a mix. I think there are going to be some people that boo him, obviously. They're disappointed that he left. They're mad at him for leaving Cleveland a second time. They feel like he lied when he said that he wasn't going to leave again, and then he turned around and left again for Los Angeles, and they don't forgive him for that. But I think there's going to be a level of respect that there wasn't in 2010. It was incredibly disrespectful. It was incredibly dangerous. I understand the anger. I understand the passion. Mm -hmm. But it's just not going to reach that level. So um, I think the environment's going to be crazy. It's one of the games that Cavs fans certainly have circled on the calendar. It's always going to be a big deal when LeBron comes back as a member of another team. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be nearly as rowdy as it was in 2010. I, I honestly don't really know what to expect at all. He's like, they're not going to cheer him, right? But they're also not going to boo him every time he gets the ball. Like, I feel like it might cancel out. You know, some people right. some people will feel positively toward him. Some will still be harboring some anger. Well, and the other thing, too, is when he came back in 2010, um, you know, there, was, there were still things you could prod LeBron about. You know, back then, you could yell, you're a choker. You've never won anything. Like, you know, now he's got four MVPs. Right. He's got three finals MVPs. He's got a title in Cleveland. You know, like, I don't even know what you would chant at LeBron anymore. Right. And I think, you know what, he went on record. um, I don't know if it was this past playoff run or maybe it was the previous one, basically saying that to my old partner, Joe Varden. Uh, He said, you know, everything that happens from here on out is kind of like the cherry on top. Right. Um, I've accomplished the things that I've wanted to. What are you possibly going to be able to say about me now Mm -hmm. because of all these things that I've accomplished? And, And I think I think him having that belief. Um, I think that played into him feeling like he could go to the Los Angeles Lakers. Right. Um, and, and I think that certainly helped his decision having that kind of mentality, and I think it's helped his game having that kind of mentality too. Okay, so what about November 1st? Uh, so like three weeks before LeBron's back, Isaiah is back for the first time. How is that going to go? <laughs> I think Isaiah is out of sight, out of mind. Uh, I think fans had enough of Isaiah Thomas the minute that he made one comment. Um, I think that was enough to push them over the edge, saying we got to move on from this guy. <laughs> they, the fans did not like the fact, and, and the players 
in the locker room did not like the fact that Isaiah was talking about the things that they were doing wrong and the things that they had to do. They felt like he needed to earn his place to yeah. say those things first. Well, fast forward a year and he's playing on the veterans minimum. So, uh, yeah. All right. A few quick predictions. You don't even have to explain these if you don't want to. Just give me your answers. Uh, which teams are going to represent the Eastern Conference uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals? So I think Boston, for sure. Yep. I think that's the only team that can compete with the Warriors in the seven-game series, actually. So Boston, for sure. And you know what? I'll go with Milwaukee. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Cavs. I know that everybody... No, I'm definitely not (laughs) going to say the Cavs. I'll say it. I know that that Milwaukee is kind of that team that that people have high expectations of every year and they don't actually, like, get to that next level. I think this is kind of the the year that Milwaukee finally Mm. does get to the next level and kind of takes that step as an organization. So I'll go... I'll go Celtics Milwaukee in the conference okay. finals. I like that. I like that. The Bucks look good last night. They look, and even after the game, listening to some of the comments, I, I think they they didn't want to come out and say it, um, but I'm I'm pretty sure they're enjoying the the early stages of the Budenholzer regime uh, as compared to what they dealt with the last couple of years. All and Giannis right. is banging threes. Yes, pull up threes too. Yeah, pull up threes. Yeah, and his jumper looks better too. It does. It doesn't look like it's his. You know, he used to shoot it almost like a free throw. This kind of long process, and last night it looked a little cleaner. Um, who's your prediction for rookie of the year? Uh, Luka Doncic, and that's almost unfair because he's been playing professionally right, yeah. for the last couple of years. You know, I mean, what he's accomplished as a professional already might be better than some of these rookies accomplish in their entire NBA career some of the stuff that he's done overseas overseas oh, yeah. he's he, he's unbelievable i think it's i think it's a runaway for yeah. him if he stays healthy yep i'm with you there mvp prediction lebron lebron easy runaway real lebron yes. james lebron james with I, the lakers yes lebron james with the lakers because i think the thing that worked against him for the last couple of years is the expectations were so high for the cavs already and they were so high for lebron already and the team was so great that you almost couldn't give him all the credit for all of the wins that they piled up. Um, I think now that he's in Los Angeles on a team that some people feel like it's a roster that's misshapen, it doesn't fit all that well, and if he takes a team that has been a doormat for a number of years, a nothing for a number of years, and takes them to the playoffs and where I think he's going to take them, I think he's finally going to get um, the the kind of appreciation that maybe he couldn't get after he left Miami. Okay, fair enough. That's a, that's a very well-reasoned. And, and I think we're getting to the point with a lot of these MVP guys where like you can cross off Durant, you can cross off Curry just because of the team context. You can yeah. cross off Harden. He won it last yep. year. I don't, think, I don't think anybody will ever give Russ another MVP. And like all of a sudden you're down to LeBron, Brow, Giannis, and... Beyond that, you know, you yeah. get into more Kyrie type of guys who really need the narrative. Um, okay, final prediction: Browns Ravens this weekend. Do the Browns get win number two? Oh man, is Hugh Jackson still the head coach? <laughs> uh, I haven't checked Twitter in the last hour, but unless they fired him, which is, I guess, a possibility, <laughs> I believe he's still the head coach. Nick, Nick, he is the greatest loser that the NFL has ever had as a head coach. Seriously. I just don't think 
they can there's like some kind of force field around this team uh, that prevents them from winning games because of that guy as their head coach. They should be four and zero, maybe even three and one, but they're not. Right? They shouldn't have gone zero and sixteen last year, but they did. Like they can't win these close games at the end unless the other team gives them the close games at the end because their coach is such a buffoon. And until they make a change, until they get rid of Hugh Jackson, Nick, they are going to constantly underachieve. This team is talented enough. I truly believe this team is talented enough to win seven or eight games, and he is going to keep them from doing that. They'll probably only win three or four because he is so bad. He is the worst coach in the NFL. Okay. Well, I'm a Jags fan. I sat through a few years of Gus Bradley, so I would maybe fight you on that. But I did watch Hard Knocks this year. I did not know I did not know anything about Hugh Jackson, admittedly, before watching that show. And within like a yep. half hour, I, I was watching it with a buddy and I was I turned to him, I'm like, this guy, everything he said was like he watched Remember the Titans a hundred times and just tried to emulate Denzel's character. <laughs> like every everything had to had to have this kind of effect to it. Like he's being all profound and I just I'm not surprised that the like you said. I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say they should be four and zero, but there is a there is a path to them being four and zero. Which, if you know anything about Browns sure. football, you know is is kind of a crazy thing to say. And and you're not you're not wrong to say that that's a possibility. Uh, and just the the way that they've lost these games, or I guess tied these games too, yeah. um, goes back to coaching. Not a lot of not a lot of uh, user error on the field. In the NFL, your ceiling is head coach and quarterback. And you cannot have a quarterback that holds you back on the offensive side of the ball. And you can't have a head coach that keeps you from winning games. And the Browns have a head coach, I truly believe, that keeps them from winning games. They got the quarterback. I believe they've got the quarterback in Baker. But now they got to find the head coach. And then it'll all come together and people will realize it. All right. Well, I'll let you go before this turns into a Browns podcast. I think I'm already keeping you a little later than we hoped. But, uh, Chris, thank you. I always appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure. Make sure to read Chris at cleveland.com. I assume you'll have even more bylines there this year than in years past. And, of course, make sure to follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Fedor.